Hello, I'm composer Joshua Shank, and welcome to Have You Heard This? The podcast where me and my colleague John Fielder talk about classical music and not being a dick about it. John, we did it. We are here on a on a, a podcast. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive in then. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see you here. Uh, we uh, started to decided kind of do this uh, for reasons that will become pretty obvious uh, soon. Uh, yeah, man. Musically, how are you doing these days? Doing pretty good. I'm actually been writing a lot more than I have been in years uh, because of a recent career change that uh, took me out of academia and into the corporate world, but got me writing a lot more and creating more and doing getting back into a lot of old collaborations. So it's actually been a bit of a blessing. So. How about you? What's been, what's new? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, definitely kind of in a transitional phase of my career, a cross-country move for a, a, my partner's job. And um, after uh, kind of getting out of academia for a little bit, I've definitely found myself doing some things that I've kept on the shelf for just, you know, the right time to do it. And this uh, sort of unprecedented time where we're all in indoors seems like the time to reach out to some of my artistic colleagues and and say like let's create together again for the first time in a long time definitely seems like the best time to do that right absolutely let's uh just set this up by maybe introducing ourselves so let's uh let's hear a little bit about your history josh tell everyone what what it is you do oh uh, absolutely yeah um uh, yeah so you know part of this podcast is based on the history that John and I um, both share and, and, and very much don't share. Um, I'm a composer who comes from the Midwest. Um, I'm, I have sort of deeply, deeply entrenched in the choral tradition in the United States. Um, I have a degree in uh, education. I went to my bachelor's, to, uh, my undergraduate experience to get that. And I was a high school teacher for a number of years before um, wanting to kind of set off into academia and, and teach there. Um, I, I feel like teaching is very much a, a vocation for me. And um, one way that I thought I could go teach and also be a composer um, was to go get a, a doctorate in composition. And I figured, well, I'll have some time to teach while I, uh, or I'll have some time to compose while I teach. Um, and having done some full-time teaching work in the higher ed, uh, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> so, um, but it, it was, uh, it was, um, it was good work. Uh, it was wonderful work. Um, and, uh, I also have a, a master's degree in historical musicology. Um, so I am a, a, a trained archive nerd. Uh, I love that stuff as well. I love researching. And, um, as, as John has described my music to me, uh, before I, you know, I write some diatonic stuff. I write, um, I write in a key, um, and uh, gross. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I wrote some notes about your music too, my friend. Uh, music that I love uh, most because uh, you know we have kind of this abiding uh, love for each other because our friendship. Um, so, so that's me. Choral music, education, 
Um, I don't write just education music, though. Um, I've had just the real, real uh, good fortune to write for just top flight choirs around the United States. I'm right here in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, in the Boston area, where uh, we have the incredible Lorelei Ensemble, which is one of the most... Um, uh, the best, uh, you know, uh, soprano, alto, mezzo, you know, voiced uh, ensembles in the United States. Um, and I uh, have worked with Consferare in, in, in Austin, where John and I met. Um, the professional choir, the singers, Minnesota choral artists in uh, the Twin Cities. And just got a commission from uh, the Grammy-nominated ensemble from Tucson, uh, True Concord Voices and Orchestra. So oh, wow. I'm an educator, but I, I love um, working with all levels um, of, of singers and instrumentalists too. Uh, you know, but, you know, but enough about me. Um, uh, John, tell everybody, uh, how we're both similar and different. Mm. How, how, what, like, what's your background? Well, everything you've heard about me is true. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I have, uh, I don't know if it's really that non-traditional. I think for a long time, I thought it was, um, I didn't really grow up playing in orchestras or really, exposed to classical music in to any degree mostly just playing in concert band but i was really into uh like frank zappa and maha vishnu orchestra and king crimson and really the things that you brought into my life right yeah sure. yeah and uh so i was always into sort of the the more bizarre side of things um but was really into uh everything that we were doing in concert band also and just like the idea of writing for orchestra and <clears throat> film music was a big inspiration but also mostly like horror film music was really more my thing rather than like you know the john williams is like i was way more into john carpenter than i was john williams um so but then when i got into uh college i didn't really know exactly what i wanted to do until probably grad school in 2010 when I went to Bowling Green State University and sort of this this beacon of experimental, really forward-thinking avant-garde music there in Bowling Green with the New Music Festival and Mid-American Center for Contemporary Music. And that sort of just kind of really skyrocketed me into everything that I'm doing now. Then that just sort of continued when I got down to UT Austin. I met uh, a lot of people UT, like, for those of you who don't know, is the University of Texas, yes, right? Yes, University of Texas at Austin. And that was where I met Josh. And actually, it was really great. I met a lot of people who, sort of unlike Bowling Green, I met a lot of people who weren't like me. Um, whereas at Bowling Green, I was sort of insulated in this community of people who did a lot of the same stuff that I did or did things that I was interested in. Uh, and when I got to UT Austin, it was very different in that... Um, you know, it was, there was a lot more focus on uh, large ensemble writing. There was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot more focus on, I, I don't even want to say tonal music, but um, uh, a glimpse of, you know, the other side of the fence that I think for those three years I was at Bowling Green, I kind of forgot existed. And it, I think it's been good. And it was where, you know, I met Josh Shank and we could not be more opposite in terms of what it is we do. <laughs> but we've also we've also uh, always been able to talk about it very openly and in a very friendly way. Um, and I guess since the leaving UT, I taught at a school in California in the Bay Area where I taught audio engineering and uh, music theory and electronic music. And as I was saying earlier, I recently got out of higher education because I wasn't able to really find time to be creative. And that was ultimately what my degrees are in and what I wanted to do. So I have found myself a day job, which I love doing, and uh, 
I have my nights and weekends free to just plunk away and, or I guess I should say kerplunk away. Um, Ooh, you know, I, that's a, I that's made a, a huge mistake not trademarking that, that, uh, that term. Yeah. Uh, John, John brings up our kind of like, or his seeing the quote unquote other side of the fence. And, and, um, I, I, I will echo those, those, that statement because I had the exact, as a, someone who came up in a choir school, uh, and then went to, uh, you know, to make my bones in the Twin Cities, which is one of the seats of choral music tradition in the United States. When I came to UT and I was like, what's electroacoustic music? What is this? Uh, <laughs> and then John pulled me into that world uh, uh, as, as much as he could. I definitely um, didn't go all the way in. Um, but I, one of the reasons that we decided to kind of start this whole uh, venture, this storytelling venture is that, um, we found that there are some colleagues who, uh, not just some, but kind of like more than enough for us to be like, why are you arguing from the opposite ends of these sort of aesthetic ideas of beauty? Uh, why is everybody not nice to each other? And like John and I can sit down over pizza and a, and a beer and really just have fun talking about the world in terms of our own music. Mm -hmm. And we found out that we kind of were talking about the same thing in a different musical language. I, I, what's your, what's your experience with like what I'm kind of talking about? Yeah. There? Yeah. I, I think it's, it was the way I described how music's talked about uh, just in academia in general. And I found it was sort of not necessarily like this across the board, but by and large music was in composition forms, at least was never really discussed or talked about. It was just attacked and defended. And I never really liked that. Um, I didn't like that if, you know, if I, for instance, were to present a piece of music that I'd written that uh, people in the room hadn't experienced, you know, something like electroacoustic music or something with really complex graphic notation or complex rhythmic structures. Um, it wasn't really so much that anyone was asking, you know, how did you come up with this? Or what is, you know, how does this work structurally or anything like that? It was more, why did you do this? And uh, almost like disparagingly, like, why would you do this? Why would you even, why would you put a performer through this? Um, uh, and at one point I remember not to make this just about me, but I remember being told once that the music that I write is disrespectful to performers. And I, I think I was there for that. I, comment. You might've been. And I just remember always finding that to be such a weird thing to say. And I, I noticed it not even just from uh, our peers and colleagues, but from our instructors as well, and from journalists and from people on New Music Twitter, which sometimes is great and sometimes is really just the worst corners of new music on the internet. And, you know, we, we both talked about it a lot, how it just is such a destructive way to approach other people in an already very small world that's sort of underappreciated. You know, we're already putting ourselves in a very small box doing what we're doing. And then instead of trying to build each other up, we just tear each other down based solely on subjective aesthetics. And it just seems so ridiculous. Right. When one of us wins, we all win. And I don't feel like that was ever, that notion was ever kind of like spoken out loud. In forum, you're talking about this idea of like someone saying, why would you put a performer through this? And I immediately flash back to my very first year of graduate school when I presented this piece. It was in B flat minor. And guess what? It moved to D flat major. Okay. Uh, and it had a little bit of minimalist inflection into it. 
It was commissioned by the Minnesota All-State Choir. I brought their performance of it. It was incredible. It was, they, those kids did amazing. And the first comment, this is the first piece I ever brought. And, uh, and I was very proud of it, um, as we all are with our music. Yeah. And first question I got was from this composer who uh, just completely deflated the whole room. And this, this composer said, are you sure that you wanted to choose that pitch material for the beginning? And I thought, what kind of a question is that? Like someone else chose it for me? I, what, what's, the, what's the point of that question? Like, what, what, do you, what, are, what are you trying to get out of this, this interaction? Um, and coming from having just taught high school for like six years, I heard this question. And I said, yes, that's what I wanted and moved right on. I mean, and the the I won't say who it was, but one of our esteemed teachers in the back of the room, like openly chuckled because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> moved that question aside. Yeah. Um, and so I think John and I are really hoping to uh, not change the culture because there's people like us out there, mm-hmm. but be another manifestation. Yeah. Uh, of it um, out there in uh, in the world. I mean, yeah, the, there were people with us at in Austin who were very much like us, who we would, I mean, groups of us would meet and hang out for hours and talk about, you know, music and art and aesthetics and have, be from, you know, the far extremes uh, or anywhere along the middle. And we would never have a bad word to say about one another or the music we were listening to. And I think it was sort of, baffling to all of us that it, it doesn't seem like there are more people out there like that. And I think uh, it might not even be necessarily worth mentioning, but I think the point that I realized that it was more widespread than I ever realized and not just institutional was when there was an episode of a podcast, um, Nadia Sirota, who or her meet the composer podcast, which is really incredible. I love what Nadia is doing. It's really great. But there was one episode that stuck out to me called New Music Fight Club. And yep, I know the exact one that you're talking and about. And I was like, all right, I'll check this out. And I think th- what we're doing is sort of the antithesis of what that podcast was about. And they weren't encouraging it. It was, um, I believe it was her dad who was talking about his experience of really just terrible treatment and the, uh, the infighting and breaking off into aesthetic camps and you know, you had your atonal camp and you had your minimalist camp and you had your neo-romantic camp in the 70s, you know, 60s and 70s, and no one got along. And, you know, everyone was sort of battling for, you know, the top awards and prizes and, you know, top teaching. Like the thoughts. island of Manhattan is used often as like a geographical means to talk about this. Right. I feel like we're beyond that. I think it's great to talk about that from a historical perspective, but there's no reason to perpetuate it. And I think so new music, new music fight club. Do you want to call this new music hug factory, John? Hug factory. Yes. New music hug factory. Love fest. (laughs) The new music love fest. (laughs) Well, uh, with, with that in mind, um, uh, I'll say, uh, we should take a break and then you want to get into some tunes. Definitely. All right. Okay, and we're back. Um, awesome. Okay, so uh, the format of this podcast will not just be John's and my music, um, but we figured uh, since it's uh, you know really anchored in in our music and the way that we sort of we find our art and how it exists and interacts with the world, 
we needed to kind of define the parameters. Um, so this first episode is, uh, is we're going to go over one of my pieces and one of John's pieces. Um, to start off with, um, I chose a, a, a work of mine called Musica Animam Tangens, and this is a piece. Um, it's in Latin. Uh, I wrote it in uh, 2001. Um, I saw this beautiful poem uh, on uh, a good friend of mine. It was on his dorm room door, and it was about it was about music, and it was about singing, and how music sounds and resounds out in the world. And I I loved it, but it I didn't think I could do anything with it in English. So I figured if I could translate it into Latin, and of course, music that's in Latin is a, a part of the choral tradition that goes back, you know, um, a very, 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 very long time. Um, so I had to translate it to Latin. I wrote this piece, and it was about uh, musica animam tangens means music touches the soul. Uh, so it's a very romantic notion, but I mean, I was, you know, 20 years old, uh, and we tend to think of the world in those huge emotional, emotional uh, swaths. Uh, this piece went on to, I, I kind of on a lark, um, sent it into a, a, a composition competition sponsored by the American Choral Directors Association, which is uh, probably the largest um, professional association of choir directors of all levels in the United States. And um, it won. Um, and I was the youngest winner ever of this this award. And it catapulted me into this a level that, of like commissions and uh, performances that I sort of looking back as as someone who's 40 years old now looking back on that I wasn't really ready for it but uh I the reason I chose this piece is because it it very much speaks to kind of my aesthetic uh and it's dedicated to uh one, my mentor Weston Noble who uh, if there's any choir directors listening uh they'll know exactly who that is uh, he's a very famous uh choral pedagogue uh, who uh, conducted a college choir at Luther College for 57 years. Uh, he was a tank driver in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, passed away a few years ago, and I really miss uh, knowing that he's you know, not somewhere out in the world. So, uh, Weston Noble, may he rest in peace. Um, but it's dedicated to him. It won this award. Uh, it's in Latin. And, um, yeah, I... I've lived with this piece for almost 20 years. John, what did you think? Well, I've lived with it for two weeks and uh, it's been good. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, I like it. Um, choral music has never really been my go-to. Um, vocal music in general has never really been my go-to. Uh, people have always found this odd, but I don't know the lyrics to most of my favorite songs. Cause I just don't really focus on that's shy. It, it really is. I could, there are, maybe two dozen songs that I could sit down from memory and give you all of the lyrics and actually get them right. But um, I do like listening to choral music because of, uh, <clears throat> I don't listen to the text, but where I do know the text very well. One thing that I, I've heard a lot of your music and one thing that has always stuck out is that I do hear the text very well. I guess my question was why you decided to go with Latin. Um, but you just answered that. Um, so, because uh, I, I read about it on your website and saw that it was a poem in English originally on your, that you found on your friend's door. And I wondered if... Yes, he is now a... Uh, he was a, a multiple award-winning competitive barbecue chef. Oh. Who, uh, the, and he now owns uh, um, a, a, apparently an amazing barbecue restaurant in Ames, Iowa. So. Well... Big ups to Cornbread Barbecue, uh, all you fans out there. 
<laughs> we say that as to like both of us on this podcast are vegetarians, so it's not like we'll ever go there. <laughs> but but it exists, and I'm into that. So uh, yeah, hell yeah. Um, what got me? I listened through it without knowing anything about it. I just uh, went to went to the recording, listened to it, kind of took it in, waited for a few minutes, and kind of digested, and then went back and listened to it again uh, with some score samples that I found because I like to follow along. I, what I've always really liked about your music is how you're able to draw the the listener's ear to the specific line of text that I don't know if what, it's what you're intending for them to hear, but, and it's not even necessarily in the melody, but there's always something that's being clearly communicated. And what really stuck out was when I was reading about it was this quote, if I may, from your website. <laughs> Please. Um, talking about the text, uh, it expresses something that almost any musician knows to be true. The music puts us in touch with a higher power, something that in, uh, something inexpressible and infinitely beautiful. And I started thinking about that. And initially, I was thinking, no, no, Josh, that's not true. And the more I thought about it, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, no, that that actually I, I do. I can fully agree with that. And I think maybe relating it to to, you know, when we get into my piece, which from an, not only from an aesthetic standpoint, but just from a uh, sort of emotional standpoint is starkly different from uh, what you'll hear in Josh's piece. But I guess beyond... Oh, you don't say, it's, John. It's a little different. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I guess that was my main question about it was, was that. But also, initially, when I, I saw the date, I was going to say, you know, why choose such an old piece? But then, you know, let's, we decided to use for this first episode, something that really sort of represents our style and our approach to music. And I found it interesting that you chose one that was from so early in your catalog. So I guess that would be my first question. What is it that you took away from this that maybe is still there? What, is there anything you listen back to where you think, oh yeah, I've really grown from there, but anything that's sort of like, a nugget of it that's still like very quintessentially Josh Shank. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so it's, it's the repeating sort of, I just had a, um, a zoom call with uh, a choir. It's called the Concordia choir. They're out of a college in Minnesota yesterday. Cause they're doing a piece uh, giving the premiere of a piece of mine. And they asked me about this one section and I was like, yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of what, of, of, of a Passacaglia or a Chacon. Mm -hmm. Like I love repeating chord progressions. In, in graduate school, I sort of found out this, this term, a theorist named Mark Spicer, who talks about this term, uh, it's accumulative form. And like the word accumulate, that, that not like a cumulative form, it's accumulative form. Mm -hmm. So the music accumulates things over time. And it, at, at least in the piece that we're talking about, it sort of overflows. Mm -hmm which is this kind of like releasing of emotion and joy and positivity.
choral music that's like really kind of indelible and things that like I'm doing air quotes now they're like hits are often pieces that talk about singing the idea of music because when you sing you sort of announce yourself to the world so to speak and not to get like too you know hippy dippy about it because I I don't feel that way as much as I did back then as a 20 year old Mm -hmm. um I'm much more of a I feel like someone who has a lot of more like tools to write music than emotions to pour out. <laughs> um, but I still get as much enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you liked Loved it, it, man. Thank you. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, John, um, you, uh, we just talked about my piece a little bit. Um, the listeners got a little bit of an idea of kind of who I am and now let's get a little bit of more of an idea of, of who John Fielder, the composer is. Um, Explore the dark corners I, of my mind. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I feel like th- that's what this piece is about. Yeah. Um, a little bit, at least. I, I tried to look for some program notes because um, I'm, I'm a huge program note fan. I love writing them. I, love, I will read every single line in a program. And I couldn't find any on your website. Uh, admittedly, I took for like five minutes, I, I looked and, and I, I didn't. But, you should have taken uh, six. I can, you might have found I, in that's that probably. Minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I, I wrote some notes about about it and i've got like i have some questions um for anyone within the sound of our voices this is basically what happens every time john plays a piece for me i've got a lot of questions mm-hmm. um you got no and, answers <laughs> no i bet I've you got have a some few locked and loaded i've so the, <laughs> the first one um i mean john and i are like kind of we're both you know uh, learned individuals but we both have kind of a sophomore <laughs> sense of humor yeah. um <laughs> I wrote down three minutes and 45 seconds. John, you just legit said the word tit. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Tit is yeah. it is, is actually <laughs> what I said. Um, that is that it made me laugh, took me out of it a little yeah. bit. That's just because I'm very immature for my age. So the thing, the first thing that I wrote down is this. How is forward motion defined? If, if at all. Uh, you're asking me forward motion? Yes. Uh, I, I would say, well, let's see what Webster has to say about it. Um, oh, I just mean like in, oh in, within your music, <laughs> like I hear, like for me, it's this kind of pulse, but then maybe in, in your music that like, kind of yeah, yeah, no, that, that's like, that's, that's me. That's, and that's everywhere. Also pulse. what that very sound that you, where there's a lot of speeding up and slowing down. There's a lot of, my music has a lot of push and pull. There's time and there's energy and there's gesture, but there's never really much pulse in and that you know that it's sort of like that it gets faster and slower and i think that's sort of how i've always wanted to approach time i i was really obsessed with george crumb in my early 20s you find a lot of that in his music a lot of speeding up and slowing down i've talked a lot about my own perception of time and how i approach time and how it has to do with mental illness which is actually what this piece is about and then george crumb for the listeners is someone who wrote his pieces would be like Black Angels mm-hmm. or uh, Ancient um, Voices of Children. Fox Bellamy. Yeah, I have a lot, a pretty strong connection to George Crumb. He actually grew up about forty-five minutes down the road from where I grew up. So, didn't you meet him? One I time met him too? once at a festival at mm. Heidelberg College, and he and I sat on a park bench together for about an hour and talked about his piece. And Luke's just fed the pigeons. Yeah, we just had a. I mean, he's him. just had <laughs> the most grandfatherly, gravelly old voice. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Since Josh wasn't able to find it, that means a lot of you probably won't be able to find program notes either, and I should change that. But um, 
So it's, a, it's actually about a friend of mine. Um, and without going into a lot of unnecessary detail, uh, it's about a friend of mine who had a uh, schizophrenic break uh, in late 2015 um, that I was only able to observe through social media posts that started out sort of seemingly a little bit paranoid and eventually became sort of long strings of uh, sort of incoherent thoughts, which then became strings of gibberish and just letters and uh, made up words. Uh, and then sometimes even just numbers. Um, and the only sort of common thread was there would be this idea of like think and then blank, like uh, something of talking about like a long thought about um, the medical system or, you know, uh, mental health system and then like think medical system or um, something about like really graphic violence and then think police brutality. And so like distilling a very complex meandering thought into one word. And eventually these all just stopped. And so I compiled all of them. Uh, there was sort of this really hopeless feeling of seeing it happen and having nothing to really do, no way to sort of reach out and help. And at the time I was dealing with my own undiagnosed mental illness when I wrote this piece. So basically what you hear in it is a lot of, it's all me doing the, the text. And I created the text by taking out pieces of these social media posts. Um, some of it left as it was, some of it just sort of extracted, you know, with just the little words and phrases. And I went into a studio and I, I was going to make it into a, originally a piece for voice and electronics. And then I thought, how am I going to describe to someone how to do this? And I couldn't think of any way to notate it that would really get the point across. And I thought, well, I know how I hear it in my head. So I went into the studio and what you hear is actually the first and only take that I did of it. Uh, I kind of cleared my head, got into uh, the right headspace, and I just read through the text as I felt it should have been read. There was some editing and you know cutting out of some silences and things like that. Uh, it's not one straight take, but uh, I only did that one take of it and then put it together and sort of wrote all of the music around it. And uh, yeah, so that that's sort of the basic idea of it. So my question about that is, this is the word for word question I wrote, why not do the quote voice character with processing? Like you do this vocal performance, which I feel like you could have made through processing the voice through some stuff, mm -hmm. like the parts where you're like, instead of that, doing that with your actual voice, you could have it reminds me of those those moments in um, Tim and Eric Austin's show, Great Job. Mm -hmm. Well, they'll do that little clipping. I think is that what it's called? Uh, no, it's not no. that. It's not called clipping. Uh, sort of like I, I I don't know what you're referring to. The 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 video will be like where it's almost like it gets stuck and it just sort of repeat like it loops one little section over and over. Yeah. Yes. I wondered why you didn't do that because you have the you have the power of of processing. Well, the the opening is fully processed. You hear at the beginning of it is uh think and then me just like <laughs> a lot of that and then in the build up to the climax where you hear all of the uh think instantly think about thinking think drugs think brain that kind of thing when in that section there is a lot of processing but outside of that I wanted there to be no processing on the voice because I I didn't want it to sound artificial because there's something very unsettling about it. There's something really uncomfortable. There's, there's a struggle 
it's it's difficult to get some of those things out. You know, they're not a lot of them are not real words. And I think I I loved your deconstruction of the word Pollyanna. Poly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Pollyanna, Polly, Lolly, Lollyanna, something like that. And there there are it other is, yep. things going on around it. I wanted it to sound like someone having a lot of difficulty saying something. And I think to do it through processing would have made that too easy. That was why I wanted to go with just mostly unprocessed voice. So it's all of the electronics are sort of decorating what is actually sort of a, a very real thing uh, that you're experiencing. And, and this and, gradual breakdown. I think had I done too much processing, hmm. it would have been sort of, you know, you hear voice and you hear processed voice throughout. Whereas you don't really hear a deconstruction of voice through processing. You hear a little deconstruction of language and coherent thought over time. And I, I mean, I can, I can confirm that I, I felt unsettled, uh, <laughs> but I also don't feel like that's a bad thing. Music should have access to all of our human mm-hmm. emotions. Um, uh, so uh, here, let's play a clip of, uh, let's play a clip of Think by John Fielder. <laughs> help you dissect the void in the think but you lost the thought think think I'm me, I Another thing that I wrote down, John, I wrote down, your wife has to hear you perform this stuff. Like, I'm in, I'm in my office playing... Playing in the key of D major and like singing, uh, you know, melodic lines and stuff. And like you're in your studio, yelling, <laughs> screaming, boppity beeping, and having a. It, it, oh, <laughs> man! Funny story about that. She won't listen to my music. Um, she, <laughs> and I, she's she's so supportive, and she even she tells me that all the time. Uh, she's like, I support everything you do. I think it's so cool. And I hear her talking to people when she probably doesn't know I'm listening and she speaks very highly of what I do, which is so nice. But she also scares very easily. And, uh, if, and can I say, I am one of those people as well. So, uh, yes. So I, Michelle, I'm rather with you. (laughs) I, a small child was once taken out of a performance of one of my pieces and a mutual friend once told me that uh, his wife felt like she had to leave in the middle of one of my pieces because it was giving her an existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, so I, it's it's extreme. It's it's extreme music, but beautiful in its own way. That being said, like here, you know what else I wrote down? I wrote down this. I wrote final section at like seven fifteen. I wrote down voice of an angel. Mm, yeah, and that's, that's you, me. buddy. Yeah, that is me. Um, no auto tune on that. It's also. <laughs> it reminded me of. Um, do you know? It's Peter Gabriel's uh, score for uh, Nikos Kazantzakis, his film, The Last Temptation of Christ. I do know that. You know that? One, yeah, I know the movie. Yeah. I don't remember the score very well. This I found it. I put. I dropped it in in our um, our, our Spotify playlist for folks who want to hear. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, that last section is, is sort of like an elegy, I think. Um, because uh, sort of at the time when I wrote that, um, I I wrote that it's a it's a denouement. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be a, a good way to characterize it as well. At the time that I wrote this, I didn't know if my friend was ever going to be the same again. And I, you kind of, when you watch a friend go through that kind of experience, there's a helplessness that you kind of have to work through. As one of uh, our former instructors and a very dear friend of mine, Bruce Pennycook, once told me in a lesson, John, not everything you write has to be full of angst. So that <laughs> is my, my one instance of putting that into practice. Is that the the one instance? Well, no, one of one of a few, one of a few. <laughs> yeah. so, so just to recap, John's piece all about mm, sort of raising awareness and mental health and kind of processing grief and things like that. And my piece is like, I love music, you guys. <laughs> yes, diatonic schmaltzy. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch! Uh, oh, but it's well, beautiful. Anyway. It's all beautiful. Oh, thanks, buddy. I, I appreciate that. Um, it, you know, it, it pays the bills. No, it doesn't pay the bills. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, every, everybody, that's, that's kind of how the, uh, the episodes will shake out. Um, I, I, I could talk about your music forever. Um, but I'm glad that, uh, I don't have to talk about your music mm -hmm. forever, uh, because I get to talk about some other stuff. As I said before, uh, the, not every episode will be about our music. We're just going to sort of bring some music that we love in. So uh, what's some stuff that you think you're going to bring in, John? Uh, so definitely some Eleni Lilio, some probably some Kaya Sariaho. Uh, I will put you through some Brian Farnihow, so strap in. Um. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, that sounds, you know, you're, you're the person that uh, introduced me to Brian Farnihow uh, existed, and I don't think I was ever brave enough to listen to his stuff on my own, uh, but that's because I'm a coward and you're mm -hmm. not. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some, I'm going to try to bring a little heat. We'll see. Uh, as much as I can get uh, heated uh, with the music of, of uh, Morton Lordson, who I love. Skip. Um, yeah, good old, yep, Skip Lordson. There's a composer named Adolphus Hailstork, who, um, I don't know if you know his stuff, he's a black composer, uh, and there's an incredible piece he wrote called Crucifixion. Also, uh, I'm, I, I, will, I totally stand for uh, this Norwegian composer named Knut Nistet, uh, who I don't, you probably have never heard of him, but his music is fantastic. And then also some deep cuts from Wolfram uh, Buchenberg, who I'm sure you're very familiar with, right? <laughs> I dabble. <laughs> yeah, you dabble. Um, uh, I, I only dabbled uh, in Wolfram Buchenberg's music recently and found uh, a lot mm. to sort of crow about. No, I'm not familiar, um, so I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Um, just, just even to share this with, with anyone who wants to listen. Hey, where can they find you on the social media, my friend? Yeah, my website is johnfielder.com. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram at johnfieldercomposer, Twitter at johnfieldermusic. And I'm on SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash john-fielder. And where can we find your stuff, Josh? Oh, I'm on Facebook, joshuashank.com. Shank, spelled S-H-A-N-K, just like the prison knife. Um, I am uh, on Instagram at thejoshuashank. Um, I don't tweet, so uh, or I like hover in the in the background and just read tweets when I when I want to. 
And you can find the podcast um, at haveyouheardthispodcast.com. And if you have any requests uh, on pieces that you think John and I should uh, talk about, um, just really get into, you can uh, email us at haveyouheardthispodcast with Josh and John at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know if it was mentioned earlier, but we also are putting together a playlist on Spotify of all of the music that we are talking about. Anything uh, that we discuss here that you hear a little snippet of, if you like it, you can head over to that. Um, the name of the playlist is Have You Heard This? Question mark with Josh and John. And we will be adding to that weekly, or I guess not weekly, but each episode. Uh, well, that's the first one in the can. Thanks, John. Thank you, Josh. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>